0: Welcome, you're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. Welcome, we're here today with Kim Reed, OD, FAAO. Dr. Reed spent the first 25 years of her career in academia and then she joined industry in medical affairs. Currently, she's the senior medical director in clinical development at Regeneron and she's currently leading the phase two and phase three clinical trials in wet AMD and diabetic macular edema. Dr. Reed, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your career pathway and how uh, that that jump into into industry worked
1: for you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So you went into academia right after...
1: College? I did. I had uh, big plans of, you know, joining a private practice and making millions and millions of dollars, you know, right on graduation. And then I interviewed for, you know, a residency and I took a residency position at a teaching institution at the Illinois College of Optometry. And I really just fell in love with the environment. So You know, right away, the plans of millions and millions of dollars went out the window (laughs) because, you know, academics is, you know, it's its own reward in many instances. And I just really loved the environment. I loved the people. I loved the patients. And so that seemed like, you know, the right pivot for me at the time. And then I left Illinois after a few years and went to the relatively newer college in Fort Lauderdale, Nova Southeastern, and really continued my academic growth uh, in my career there, wonderful.
0: And then how did it? How did this uh, transition to to industry occur? I know that there's a, a lot of listeners who wonder, you know, how to sort of expand their their own profile and and be more involved in, in industry. And you went all the way in.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I have to say that it was. I guess a happy accident, I don't really know how else to to um, to describe it. If I were starting out again, I think I would take, you know, more deliberate steps towards this this pathway. But as it turned out, you know, as I was developing my academic career, you know, the, the older you get and the more experience you get, you, you kind of branch out a little bit. So for me, it, I was branching out into doing external continuing education. So little local lectures here with, you know, 30 people. And, you know, eventually I'm, you know, fortunate enough to be invited to speak at the academy and larger meetings. And through those experiences, you just naturally meet people in industry because industry, like it or not, is where the money is. And so through those relationships, you know, meeting, you know, a medical affairs person here or a, you know, marketing person there. Kind of build your network, and I think that's really the most significant and important thing that I could share with you know younger people people earlier in their career is that your networking is absolutely essential to your career path as much as you may think that you know you meet somebody fleetingly and it's a one off and you 'll never see them again. you know the eye care industry is pretty small and the chances of you circling back with the same people is is pretty large and i didn't really fully grasp that as as an early career person but you really can't underestimate how critical it is to have your brand as as excellence like whatever you deliver you need to put your your excellent self and just be extra in in everything that you deliver because even if, you know, when I was doing these very small, you know, dinner programs for a you know, small little company that wanted me to speak about, you know, whatever product or, or drug it was, maybe there's only 15 people in the room, but you never know, you know, who among those people is also on the board of another company or another group or another organization that could generate your next opportunity. And you know, when I joined industry, it was kind of at a, at a point in my career, um, my academic career, where I was looking for a change. And the reason that I was recruited was because of my work in, in dry eye. So I had done a lot of lectures and a lot of, you know, writing in this area. And somebody from one of the companies, you know, was familiar with my name and kind of came came to me. I didn't have the foggiest idea what I was doing. Um, I, I really didn't know. You know, they said, we want you to be a medical director. And I said, okay, and, and really didn't know what that meant. I mean, for the first six months of my industry career, I was still surreptitiously writing down acronyms, trying to go look them up later, because I didn't even know what, <laughs> what half of the things they were talking about meant. But what I was able to provide is that was my clinical experience of 25 years you know, with patients and students and, you know, provide that to the company. And that was my capital. I was able to trade in that for for those purposes. And, you know, I do believe that attention to detail and attention to giving extra every opportunity created that path for me.
0: Right, right. And so, uh, obviously, you've learned things that,
1: y- you know, you didn't
0: imagine learning in optometry school. How, how else can, um, y- you know, writing down acronyms is, is obviously a part of it, and, and, but,
1: but, you know, how
0: else is it? Is it a
1: learn-as-you-go process? I think so. Um, I think mm-hmm. um, I remember early in my teaching career, I was so, you know, enthusiastic about the clinical care and you know case reports and you know learning about the the nitty gritty, getting in there with patient care. That I really didn't pay that much attention to the research world. Um, going to ARVO was not something I would ever have really wanted to do or thought was important in my teaching career. And I wish that I had paid more attention to it, because now I'm running FDA trials and I had to go back and relearn statistics from, you know, years ago, and I basically had to go back and kind of relearn how to approach reading a literature, you know, a, a clinical study paper, you know, I had to kind of go back and fill in those gaps that I had not paid that much attention to. And so I'm, uh, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity to to be in this space now. But that's certainly something I would encourage, I would encourage all of the faculty out there that may be listening to not underestimate the value of using literature and clinical trials and papers in, you know, your educational efforts to students. I know that was a big gap for, for our students. So that's something I would say, don't lose that. And that keeps us in the world of science. That keeps us true to, you know, increasing our knowledge base and expanding what we do rather than just kind of rehashing what we've always done. So I think that's, that's something I I feel pretty passionately about.
0: That's great. And, and where else do you see that the, the, the profession or industry itself or academics could help, um, you know, students and, and ODs who are interested in, in kind of making this transition? That's a hard question because of course, academia has to focus on you know, developing clinicians. But uh, in in concert with that, is there is there more that can be done, or is this really
1: an individual initiative? Well, I I think there's that's a multifaceted um, question. I think the the first thing in terms of people, you know, students or you know, existing practitioners, faculty that have interest in industry, there are a lot of opportunities to. Integrate and learn and meet and greet. You know, don't pass up an opportunity to go to a sponsored dinner and meet the people who are putting that on. You know, talk to people about how did you get involved in being a speaker. Um, you know, those types of things. I, you know, if if people are interested in kind of making the leap, either for you know both feet in the deep end like I did, or even on a part time basis, networking with people is the most critical way. And I have to tell you, it's it's like it's like almost every other thing. Um, recognition begets more recognition, and when you are, you know, I, I remember I wrote a little—I don't even know what it was—a web page or a little some sort of infographic. It was very minor and not very, in you know, in depth. But I did my very best on it, and I worked with someone, and. I had no idea how important this person was to, to industry. She was a consultant for many companies. And as a result of that little thousand word piece that I did, um, I, I, the doors opened to me for four or five other companies because she said, this person is quality and pays attention to detail. And I think she'd be a good person for this advisory board. And that was my my first advisory board in industry ended up being with the company that I ended up taking a job with about 15 years later so those those little connections are really important and they're all over the place and especially now um so if you're at the you know exhibit hall at any of the meetings if we ever get to go back in person introduce yourself to the people at the booth and leave your business card and They're always looking for people to be on advisory boards and to be on their speaker panels and, you know, to consult with them. And, you know, why wouldn't it be you, right? Like anyone who's listening, if you have that interest and you have a skill set that you can trade in that capital. Are you a good speaker? Are you a good writer? Do you have a lot of relationships with people, you know, in different settings in optometry and ophthalmology across the country? Do you have, you know, a foreign language skill? Do you have international connections? Those things are capital that you can trade, and and companies are looking for for those skills. So that's that's the first piece. I think the second piece about what we can do as a profession for our younger, newer people in education, um, this is the same drum I've been beating since the day I graduated, and we must continue to elevate our standards as a profession. We... We cannot drop the standards. We cannot continue in academics to continue to allow things to sag. Um, I don't want to get too political, but we, we can't keep allowing retests and readmissions and second chances and fourth chances because the gap between optometry and the other medical professions, podiatry, chiropractic, dentistry, medicine, medicine. The gap is becoming larger and I can see that now kind of taking a step out of it and looking at it from an an external perspective. The gap is getting bigger and we cannot afford to allow allow our profession to be diminished in any way. We've got more pressure as, as a medical care group We've got more pressure on us than any of the other groups because we've got opticianry and we've got DOs and MDs. We've got nurse practitioners now and medical assistants and PAs and everybody can take a little piece of our pie. And the only way that we're going to be able to protect, you know, our profession as it is, is to continue to move it forward. And this is part of that don't lose sight of the science faculty. Um, Students hold yourselves to a higher standard. Don't, you know, don't take the easy way out. Like this, this is worth fighting for. And we, it's basically not something that we can rest on our laurels any, any longer in today's climate.
0: So what's interesting there is, is the fact that we've got, uh, we as a, as a, Industry, I guess, have an optometrist here in um, taking a lead in these uh, clinical trials for, for AMD and diabetic macular edema. Um, right. That's important.
1: Yes, I, I think it is, and and one of the things that I would love to be able to help um, support is having <clears throat> excuse me more optometrists involved in conducting clinical trials. Now, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, or fortunately, you know, where I am, these are intravitreal injectable medications. So, you know, this is not something that optometry could be involved in, but there are so many industry trials with topical medications. Why wouldn't optometry be doing those trials? Why shouldn't we be doing twice as many? Because there are twice as many optometrists as ophthalmologists in the United States. So why shouldn't we have a bigger share of that? Um, that piece of eye care. And I think part of it is, again, recognition begets recognition. If you've done one thing once, then now you're an expert. (laughs) So you can have a seat at that expert table, but you got to get your foot in the door. And I think that, you know, I call on any of my other industry colleagues. There's a lot of us out there working in some means. I, you know, I call upon us to get together and, work on a workshop or a learning experience, you know, some sort of experiential training for optometrists that might want to become more involved in clinical trial participation. I think this is, this is a really important thing for us. And not only do you get to do clinical trials when that happens, but, you know, obviously the results need to be published. So now, you know, that, that gets you back into the scientific literature and it puts you on the podium to present the results at scientific Congresses until we can match our colleagues in ophthalmology in, in this arena. It's, 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 we're going to continue to be considered in a different light because if you're not creating new knowledge, you're not, you know, you're not, you don't have a seat at that table. And I, 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 would call on anybody who feels passionately about this reach out and let's come up with a way to help colleagues that are interested in this to to sort of elbow elbow their way in Uh, there are plenty of pathways there's you know investigator initiated studies there's all kinds of ways we can kind of break through
0: and that's really interesting because when you look at the, the sort of the workforce demographics, the, the, the number of optometrists is, is increasing and is expected to increase over the next decade, while the number of ophthalmologists, those who are doing the injections and other things, are, uh, is staying flat. Right. So when you mentioned other portions of the, of the healthcare profession kind of moving into the um, eye care area, That's, that's happening because there's a need for these services.
1: That's Um, exactly
0: right. And and if, if optometry doesn't claim them, um, and I think most people would argue that this is firmly in optometry's wheelhouse to, to, to claim many of these services. Um, what's, what's going to happen?
1: Right. And, and you're, we're seeing that already in, in, at least in the retina space, we're seeing that, you know, PAs and medical assistants. And in some instances, there are ophthalmologists that are, you know, very well-trained and educated at, you know, outside of the United States, but not specifically licensed to practice independently. And they work side-by-side with U.S. licensed physicians to take a, up a bulk of the, the patient care. <clears throat> but you know, having, whether or not optometrists are involved in intravitreal injections themselves is really beside the point. Why wouldn't we be involved in evaluating the patients, whether or not they need an injection? Why wouldn't we be involved in the follow-up and management uh, and care of those patients outside of the needle, so to speak? Um and and those are the, the questions that um, that only we can answer as a profession coming together, you know, having critically important conversations about the direction that that the profession is taking.
0: That's really interesting. That's uh, and it's a little bit discouraging to hear, but it it sounds like there's promise in here, too.
1: I think there is promise. I think, you know, there's, there's, there's no, no doors have been slammed shut. It's, it's a matter Mm -hmm. of being aware, you know, of the potential risk and, you know, and stepping up, stepping up to it. I know there's a lot of my colleagues, I, you know, I'm, I'm old enough (laughs) that I've got hundreds and hundreds of former students out there. And I know so many Mm -hmm. of them are equally passionate about this and Mm -hmm. um, we just, we, we just need the means to come together to uh, to talk about it and take steps. And what does that mean? I th- I can I can envision uh, you know it maybe at one of the major conferences maybe outside of it having a group of people that share the interest and the passion to come together and have the difficult conversations and to develop some brainstorm some ideas about how do we get more optometrists involved in trials. How do we get more optometrists involved in podium and publications? Um, you know, where where can we infiltrate? <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like it's a you know like a a mission, but how can we infiltrate the world? You know, as it is shifting, we we know all the demographics. To your point about you know aging populations. You know, obesity trends, which goes along with diabetes and diabetic retinopathy and all the things that go along with it, we should be right there at the forefront of the care for these patients. And, you know, meeting together with people that share the passion, um, you know, come together without the influence of industry. And I say that as an industry rep but come together without the influence of, you know, who's paying for the meeting or any of those things that can sideline you and really have the difficult conversations come up with what we think as a profession is the right way to go and and the right interventions, and then turn externally for the support that's needed to do that.
0: Right. Right. That's really interesting. It's a a lot to think about and it, it sounds like this should be or could be, um, part of the focus of, of anyone's practice. I mean, being involved in, in, um, understanding the literature, certainly understanding the developments, uh, making those networks and even being involved in, in clinical trials in, in some way is, is potentially,
1: um, within reach. I absolutely think so. And there are some of our colleagues that are already very much involved um, in, you know, for example, contact lens research. I know several right. people that, you know, have a it's a big part of their income generation and their practice. Um, but, you know, moving more into the pharmaceutical area would open the door to more people. And I, I think that is definitely within reach. And um, it, it wouldn't take that much for us to get more people involved.
0: That's amazing. Well, that's, that's, that's the encouraging news here. And it's sort of the, the two sides of the coin, right? It's, here's, here's the opportunity to get involved. And there's consequences if it doesn't happen.
1: Yes, I, I, I think
0: so. Dr. Reed, thank you so much for your, for your insights and your uh, motivation here. I hope for some people to say, you know what, this is something I, I want to start
1: doing more of. Um, and it sounds like there's room. Yes, and it's been my pleasure to, to chat with you about it.
0: Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WL Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at wo magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at womenods. See you next time.